So we are continuing in this message series that we started a few weeks ago um, titled Not a Fan. And uh, this series is based on a book by uh, an author named Kyle Eidelman. Um, and so again, I encourage you to, to, there's lots of supplemental resources available for you on online and in bookstores if you're interested in that. I, I, I hope you'll continue to work through that. But uh, just a, a couple weeks ago, we started in week one looking at this, this idea of fan or follower and, and realizing that we all kind of reach this crossroads in our faith, right, of where we decide, are we going to be a fully, completely committed follower of Jesus or are we going to be a fan? Are we going to go so far, sit back and, and watch and cheer, right, but just stay there in our faith? And, and again, Jesus, um, you know, uh, we've seen as we started two weeks ago that Jesus kind of gives a fan or follower test to the crowds that were following him. Jesus, Jesus had created quite a buzz in his time here on earth, and, and he, there's a large crowd following him, and we saw again a couple weeks ago as, as he kind of administered this test to them and saying, are you going to go to a deeper level with me as a, as a committed follower, right, or are you just going to be a fan? And we saw that there were lots of people following Jesus Right, they decided, you know what, I'm fine being a fan, and they, it literally says that they left him, and they didn't follow him anymore. And so we saw, again, that, that kind of fan or follower test on week one. And then last week, we dove a little deeper into the invitation that Jesus gives to everyone to follow him. Right? And again, looking at, does the invitation really mean everyone? Is that really what Jesus meant? Right? And we saw, again, through his word, that yes, it is open to everyone. Everyone is truly welcome with Jesus. But everybody's welcome, but Jesus asks for everything. Right? He asks us to give him everything, to hold nothing back. And, and again, it's easy as fans of Jesus to hold lots of things back. In fact, that's what fans do. Right? But yet Jesus asks for everything. Now that, as he asks for everything, that comes with the promise of saying, now if you give me everything, I will give you life to the full, I'll give you a life you've never experienced before, right? It's, it is worth the sacrifice, but it is going to be a sacrifice, right? There is no fine print with Jesus. He gives us the entire truth up front, right? And we see that, again, in our theme verse for this series, again, in Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Again, the, the original crowd that heard this statement from Jesus, they knew what it meant to take up a cross. Right? They knew that that meant I am dying to myself. Right? To, to give up my own way, to, to, to submit to Jesus. Right? And, and that is a choice that I make on a daily basis. It is not one that I can just make once and then just go about my life and never think about it again. Right? It is a daily commitment to continue to walk with Christ and to make that choice of saying, I am a deeply committed follower. Right? I will not stop at being a fan. And now today we are going to continue into uh, this, this look at this invitation. right? And as we said, Jesus asked for everything, but he says, if you give me everything, I will give you something that you could never find anywhere else. Okay? And what he promises to give us is, is an, an intimate level relationship with him. Okay, and, and again, we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit today because, again, within our culture, and, you know, we're, we've, we've redefined this word intimacy. Okay, and so we're going to look into that today. What did Jesus really mean? What does he really offer us? Um, but with that said is we are all on a path. Our lives are headed somewhere. 
right? And with this idea, right, we're asking the question today is, do I know where the path I'm on is taking me? Okay, am I aware of where I am going? If I continue to do what I'm doing, if I stay where I'm at with Jesus, do I know where I'm going to end up? Okay, do I know whose directions I'm following? Do I know what path I'm on and where that path is taking me? And as we think about this idea and this concept, right, all of our lives are on a path. And we're going to watch this uh, short clip um, from Kyle, the author of this book, as we think about this idea of a path and where it's headed. There's a popular magazine for hikers called Trail Magazine. In their February 2004 issue, they published directions on how to get down from Britain's highest peak. Returning from 4,409 feet requires explicit and detailed directions, especially in bad weather. But if you were to actually follow the directions, they would take you right off the edge of a cliff and into a thousand foot drop. At next intersection, turn right. Imagine traveling along, feeling secure and confident, not knowing that the directions in your hand, if actually followed, would lead to your destruction. The truth is, on this trail called life, all of us are following someone's directions. None of us are really blazing our own trail. We all follow a path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, whose directions are you following? What path are you on? Yeah, he ends that with two really hard questions. Whose directions are you following? Right, and what path are you on? Whose directions are you following? Do you know where those directions are coming from? And can that source be trusted? Right, and then whatever path you're on, where's that path actually taking you? Because the truth is everybody, all of us are on a journey, right, of our, of our life, right? And every journey takes you somewhere. Do you know where your current path is taking you? Right, as we think about this concept, uh, I want to, as we uh, dive into the story that's found in Luke chapter 7 this morning, that is our text this morning. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 36. If you don't have your own Bible, you don't have one with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets in front of you. And you'll notice on the outline in the bulletin are the page numbers of where you can find these passages in that Bible. And so I encourage you to open with me to Luke chapter 7. Um, and we're going to pick up this story at verse 36. Okay, Luke 7, verse 36 through 50. And, and in this, there are two main characters here, and, and two of them, they're on very different paths. Okay, so here we are, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, where it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the, that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him 
she's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceled their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, as we look at this story, as I said, there are two main characters in this story other than Jesus, and they both have a very different interaction with Jesus. We have Simon the Pharisee. Now I'll say Simon the Pharisee is a solid fan of Jesus. Okay, he is, again, he's a Pharisee, he's a religious leader. He has been studied in theology and religious um, history, and, and he knows a lot about God and about religion. Right, and then we have this sinful woman. Okay, and she, again, is um, at this point where she has a lot to hide. She has a lot to lose, and yet she comes to Jesus and pours out her soul at his feet. Right, and as we see from the conclusion of the story, as Jesus interacts with Simon, a solid fan, he identifies her as a follower. Right, and uses her as, as an example of intimacy. And like I said, we're going to jump into that here in a second, but I will tell you, these two people are on very different paths. Okay, and their paths are leading to different places. Right, and when we look at this concept of intimacy, like I said, this is something that our culture has redefined. Okay, because we have connected sexuality to intimacy. Okay, and again, intimacy was God's idea, as well as sexuality. They were both God's idea, and God had blessed them both, but they're not one and the same. Okay, but yet our culture has connected. I mean, our culture has sexualized everything. Okay, and when we see, again, this concept and realize that intimacy, I mean, there's a piece of intimacy that has to do with sexuality, but it's way bigger than that. Okay, and, and when we think about this concept of intimacy, a, a non-sexual intimacy, and what what is part of what God has designed and put in us, okay, is think about a mom and a baby. Okay, and this is a great example of an intimacy between two people okay, that, um, that is unexplainable in a lot of ways. Okay, again, for a lot of us, especially even if it's not your kid, I mean, you can hear a kid crying and we hear a baby crying, right? But when it's a mom and it's her kid, 
right? She knows, she hears that cry, and she says, that kid is hungry, right? Or that baby needs change, right? Or they need just to be played with, or they need attention. There, there is a connection. There, there is, is, is a, a, again, a, an attachment between a mom and a baby, right, that cannot be explained. And this, again, this is a great example of intimacy that is obviously very non-sexual, but very deep in that connection and that attachment. Now, as many of you know, we, uh, we are waiting for a baby. My wife, we are a family, we are adopting an infant child. Okay, and, and as we are waiting for that baby, again, we've learned a lot about, about adoption and about this intimacy and this connection and this attachment that is so incredibly important in adoption. Okay, because, and, and we, we've talked about it, and, you know, that now we feel like we're just going to do a belly flop into the deep end when we get this baby because we have not had the pregnancy time with this baby the way we've had with our other boys, right? Again, and we know, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's incredible as you experience it as, as a parent that when all of my boys were born, there was an instant connection, a connection that had gone back the entire pregnancy time. Right, and know that they had heard my voice, and they had heard Maureen's voice, and they'd heard our interaction, and they, they could again sense our tone and, and all those things, right? And then there was this, this already attachment between us and our babies when they are born. Now, again, we have not had that with, with Claire, with, with our daughter that we're going to adopt. And like I said, we've read a lot about this attachment and how important this is, especially these first few months that when we have her, that we have to create this attachment, this intimacy with her, and she needs to attach to us. Okay, and, and so as we've learned this process, again, and we see that, again, I'll tell you, is we are going to enter into this thing very intentionally and purposely when we get her. Okay, and again, one of those things is that, um, is that Maureen, and it's very important, that Maureen and I are the only people that feed her in those first few months. Okay, and that even of, of holding her for long periods of time, is she needs, we need to hold her. She needs to hear our heartbeat. She needs to feel our soul as our souls connect in that way. And so I'm telling all of you, when we get her, we're all going to be excited when we bring her home. But I'll tell you, is if, we, if you ask to feed her, the answer is going to be no. Okay, because Maureen and I need to make that attachment with her. Okay, and again, even holding her, if it, you know, can you hold her? Yes, but it's going to be very, very short and momentary because we have to go into this purposeful process of attaching to her and her attaching to us. Okay, and, and, and again, this is, a, this is an incredible picture of the intimacy that God has with us and desires for us within our, our walk with him and our relationship with him. Okay, and, and when we take this intimacy, this concept of intimacy, we need to know that God knows us intimately. Okay, on a level that we can never explain. Right? And, and knowing that God already knows you on that level. Okay, again, as the scripture says, he, he knit you in your mother's womb. He, knew, he knows you better than you know yourself. Okay, and he knows you intimately. Now, again, the concept of this, this intimate level, biblically speaking, I want to go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 4. Okay, and and, and I, this verse, again, not only shows us the, the, the level of intimacy that God has and desires with us, but it also shows how we have messed up this concept in our culture. Okay, so, so this uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. 
Now, this verse, as we look at this, this, as you notice on your outline, okay, this is the King James Version of this verse. Okay, I purposely use the King James Version here because it uses this word, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now, we all understand there's a sexual component happening here. Okay, this is very obvious in the, the results of him knowing his wife, right? They have a son. Okay, but um, again, the, the, um, the translators of different versions of the Bible, again, have done exactly what our culture has done. Okay, they've taken this concept of intimacy and they've just connected it and made it only sexual. Okay, in, in, uh, in the NIV version, okay, in the older NIV version says Adam lay with his wife. Okay, the newer NIV version says Adam made love to his wife. Okay, now the NLT version, which is the one that I normally read from, the one that the Pew Bibles are in, okay, you'll notice in that version it says, Adam has sexual relations with his wife. Now, I will tell you is we have completely lost the concept of what God was communicating in this verse when we translate it in those terms because we make it into a sexual thing, and this is way beyond a sexual connection that Adam has with Eve. Okay, and again, the translators have done exactly what we've done in culture. We've connected this concept of intimacy and made it just a sexual thing. Thing. The, the, the Hebrew word, again, that is used in this verse that, that the King James translates as new, Eve, right, as these other ones translate into all these sexual terms, the, the word is yada, Y-A-D-A, okay, yada. Now, this word can be used in lots of different ways, and, and there's lots of definitions, but the one, the core definition of this Hebrew word yada is to know and to be known completely to know and to be known completely okay this word is describing an intimacy okay a, a connection that cannot be described in any other word it's again not just a sexual connection but but an intimate one okay again this is something that we can't just brush past or giggle through okay but something we need to look at this concept Right, this idea of yada is a beautiful picture. Okay, there is, there is something to be said of the sacredness of sexual intimacy. Okay, and, and isn't it awesome to see when we first read about sex in the Bible, it's not about physical pleasure at all. It's about intimacy. Right, because God designed it that way. Okay, and, and when we see that, again, um, we, we cheapen it if we don't include the bigger picture of yada. There are lots of other Hebrew words that could have been used here and that are used later in Scripture if it was only a physical act. Okay, but that's not what, he, what is used here. This is an intimate connection. In fact, one Bible scholar describes it using this phrase. It is a mingling of their soul. Think about that picture, a mingling of their soul. Again, this is the, the picture of what the way God designed intimacy to be and, and the way that God designed it to be between a husband and a wife. Right? And, and this same concept, again, is again used all throughout Scripture to describe the relationship between God and his people. Right? We've heard this phrase, right, that we are, as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And this is the same concept. This is what God wants for us, an intimate level relationship. A mingling of not just two human souls, but truthfully a mingling of God, whoever God is, and us 
as well, a deeply connected personal relationship, intimacy with God. Right? If you trace the usage of yada throughout the Old Testament, we will find it used over and over again, and this same word is used to describe God's relationship with us. Over and over, yada is a word that's used to describe how God knows you and how he wants to be known by you. Right? The same connection used to describe a man and a wife is used to describe how God wants to know you. Okay, look at this in Psalms 139. King David wrote this, this poem about his connection to God. And this is, again, a man that is known biblically as the man after God's own heart. This is a man who knew God so incredibly close and intimately. He writes in Psalm 139, 1 through 4, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to do or going to say even before I say it, Lord. Again, look at, again, to know, right? To God, you know, you know all these things. God, yada, us. To know, intimately. And not only does God already know us intimately, but he also wants you to know him on that same level. Right, this is the other side of the same coin. Right, intimacy is the goal that we have for not just human relationship, but for our relationship with our God. Again, as we think about this concept, we realize that intimacy is scary. Right, this is something that is, again, a next level that we have with a person or with a God that it, it is hard to get to it, it, because it's scary. We hold ourselves back. Truthfully, if you look back at Psalms 139 and, and look, if you take it out of the context of David and God, you start reading that and you think, um, he's describing a, a creeper, right? With the term we would use, right? Somebody that knows when I, when I get up and when I sit down and, and all, what I'm going to say and all these things that we're like, we would call them a stalker in our culture, Right, something that we, we run away from, and rightfully so. Right, because intimacy is scary. Right, and it is scary because it makes us vulnerable. Right, it makes us incredibly vulnerable to, to open up ourselves to this deep level of connection. Again, as we know, right, is that, um, you know, divorce is at, at epidemic levels within our culture. Right? And we've all known and seen and hopefully not been involved with some very, very ugly divorces. And this is exactly why that happens, is because when you connect in a marriage relationship, you are vulnerable to that person. Okay? And, and if, if, you, if that relationship breaks up, then that person knows you so well that they also know how to hurt you with one word right? or one attitude. And unfortunately, in our human fallen sinful way, that's what we do when we divorce. Right? And, and when we, again, we know this concept to be true. When we look at this sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, she took a big risk by coming to Jesus and doing what she did. She knew that she had sin in her life that made her unworthy to come to the Messiah. Right? She literally bared her soul at the feet of Jesus, and she took the biggest 
risk she could have ever taken on the face of this planet. Right, as she laid herself out before him. Right, but then look at, as she vulnerably put herself at the feet of Jesus, then Jesus responds to her. And look at how he responds to her in verse 47. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. This lady risked everything. She held nothing back. Right? She was as vulnerable of a person that could, could ever be vulnerable right, at the feet of Jesus. And he responds to her and says, I want you to know me as much as I know you. You have been forgiven. And yes, there's a lot you need forgiven for. But it's forgiven. Right? And, and the, again, the response, this is love in action. She comes to him and says, you know, out of her love, right? She comes in her love, right? And Jesus says, I love you back. As we see, again, she, um, she made herself vulnerable to God. And when we do the same, if we do the same, we know there are going to be things in our life that God is not proud of. There are things that we're not proud of to lay down at his feet. And because we know we fall short, right, we know that God's going to look into our lives and find things that he doesn't like. And so to us, in our own minds, we try to hide it from him and hold it back, right? And we don't give it to him. And you're thinking, but again, God already knows me intimately. I mean, you think about, again, that, thinking about that, that lie that we have, that we can keep it from God. And, and I'll break to you, you're not that powerful. God already knows. Right, but that's bringing it and laying it to his feet is more about us than it is about him. Right, it's laying it at his feet, right, and, and saying, again, I am truly vulnerable at the feet of Jesus. As followers of Christ, there is so much more to be gained from intimacy with God because we know that he is there and he will walk us through any pain that we endure. Again, that, that, that comfort it can only come from knowing that God is with me, even though he knows the real me. Right? Even though he knows, right, my true sin. And again, so we are faced at this crossroads, right? We have this, this choice to make, right? Am I going to follow, you know, the path of a fan and hold back? Or am I going to go down the path of a follower and be completely vulnerable and find this intimacy with Christ? Because that's what he invites us into. But right, as we are faced with that choice, okay, is realize that what's at the core of that, right, is that fans on that path, fans choose knowledge, but followers will embrace that intimacy. Okay, fans choose knowledge, but followers embrace intimacy. As we see these two people in this story, right, this sinful woman, she chose intimacy. She, she became vulnerable. She, she laid everything out at Jesus, everything she had, literally, her tears, Right, her hair, her, this alabaster jar of perfume, it was everything she had, and she laid it at the feet of Jesus in complete vulnerability. And then we have Simon our Pharisee. Right? Um, and and as, what did he bring? Right? As we say, he was as solidly on the path of a fan. Right? And he chooses knowledge. He goes down that, that, that road. He, he'd already pursued knowledge about who God is and theology and religious law and all of these things. Again, in the church, we've often failed to embrace intimacy with Jesus, and instead, 
we have created a system, right, where we feel good about ourselves when we just get more knowledge. Okay, because um, as we think about this, right, is, is it's easier for me to just go to another Bible study, right, or sign up for another small group, or go to, to another class, than to truly come to the altar and lay my heart in front of Christ. Okay, and when we see, again, this choice that is made by Simon, right, is that he'd already gone down this this path of knowledge, and admittedly, that is our default setting, is to gain more knowledge, and because it makes us feel good as we shy away from intimacy. Because intimacy is scary, right? And, and when we face something that is scary, we tend to gravitate towards what is easy and what is comfortable instead of dealing what is with what's most important. Okay, we tend to gravitate towards what's easy and comfortable versus what's most important. Yeah, I tell you, this concept, when you think about this concept, for me, is that I see this concept live out every time I look at my to-do list. Because I, for me, I'm sure just like you, the to-do list never seems to get shorter, right? Is, is there's always things on there. And yet when I look at the to-do list, right, is the, the, the easy, comfortable thing is to, is to gravitate towards the easiest one, right? So that I can just knock things off and I can get to the end of the day and be like, man, I knocked six things off my to-do list. But if I do that, as I gravitate towards the easy ones, not the important ones. Because I'll tell you, it's easier for me to check my email, right, and to go through phone messages than it is for me to study for my message. It's easier for me to check in on Facebook, right, than to dive hard into that, that phone call I just don't want to make. Right, and, and we, we tend to gravitate towards the easy and the comfortable and we push off the important. And when we pursue knowledge, we, we again, because we, we make ourselves feel good about going to the, another class or, or learning, you know, diving into the next Bible study, and yet we miss out on the most important part of our walk with Christ, and that is reaching an intimate level with our Savior. Because that's easier and it's more comfortable. It's, as I said, it's easier to attend multiple Bible studies than to give up that one sin that I just can't shake. But it's not more important. Right, and when we look at Simon the Pharisee, right, and see which one he chooses, again, look, that's exactly what he does in verse 39. Okay, when he says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Again, knows where did he go? He, we went straight to knowledge. Right? He's like, well, if Jesus was real, if he was actually a prophet, he was the Messiah who he says he was, then he would know about this woman. Right? And that knowledge would then dictate right, his actions towards her. Right? And we know, again, what he was expecting Jesus to do. If he had the knowledge of who this woman really was, right, then he'd be kicking her out. Right? And he'd be focusing on me. Right? I mean, we know that's what was happening in his heart. Right, then, also, then what does Jesus do in verse 40? Right, then it says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. I encourage you to underline that phrase. Because as, as Simon went to knowledge, where did Jesus go? Jesus went to intimacy. Because talk about a creeper. Right, as you're thinking something, then Jesus answers your thoughts. Right, talk about a wake-up call about knowledge versus going deep with God. 
Right, again, like I said, we, we, we lie to ourselves when we think we're hiding stuff from God. And again, Simon thought he was hiding this, and Jesus was like, no, you're not. Let me answer your thoughts. In fact, I'll do it. I'll tell you a story. Right, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Simon defaulted at knowledge, and yet Jesus took him to intimacy. He invited him to intimacy. Jesus invited him to go deeper, to switch to a different path, to a path towards intimacy, not just knowledge. Now, Jesus was inviting him. He says, get off of the fan path and go to this deep, committed follower path. Because that path is not going where you think it's going. And as Jesus invites Simon the Pharisee in this, Jesus' same invitation is extended to us. He is inviting us to an intimate relationship with him. But I will tell you, fans will never get there. Fans will never get there. So will you let Jesus know you right, the way that he wants to? Will you embrace a close and intimate relationship that he wants to have with you? Because with that intimate relationship comes forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and yada. And yada is something that only followers will ever truly experience. And the, and the truth of the matter is, is Christian culture in America never gets here. Most typically. But it's the invitation that Jesus invites us to. Right? Because fans are on that path and they might go that so far and then they say, you know what, I'm done journeying. I'm not willing to give that up. I don't want that. That's, that's too close. I'm not going to go there. And they just end up camping in their faith instead of journeying to a whole new place with Jesus. Right? And he gives us that same invitation. Right? Will you ditch the fan path and move to following? Right? Because he tells us where that path is leading. Right? It leads to intimacy. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. Right? And it is a level and a place in our faith, again, that you'll never return from. Which leads me then to my final thought this morning, and that's this. Every path takes you somewhere. A committed follower of Jesus is on the path toward deep intimacy with God. Is the journey you're currently on taking you towards Christ? I hope it is. I hope that you want to, again, move from fan level or maybe even just from not even knowing Christ at all this morning. Right? To joining the journey towards intimacy. Right, maybe, maybe that's receiving Christ your Savior for the very first time this morning. Right, maybe that's just saying, you know what, I'm done camping in my faith. I'm going to go deeper. Right, I'm going I'm to go down that path towards intimacy. Again, I don't know what the next step of your journey is today, but I hope that you will take it. Because Jesus is inviting you into that relationship. Right, and what will be your response? 